Good evening. It's wonderful to be here. It's a privilege for me to be here, and I thank you for this opportunity. I thank the Lord, and we are so excited about what's going on here at Christ Press. Tonight, we're going to be looking together at one verse in Psalm 119. And that verse is going to be verse 32. So Psalm 119, verse 32. Hear the word of God. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And he's the one who opens our eyes and enlarges our hearts. We pray tonight that as we consider this text, that he would enable us to give glory to Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. On 1957, Dr. Seuss wrote a children's story called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It tells the tale of a Grinch and his loyal dog, Max, who were critiquing the commercialization of Christmas. The Grinch himself, we're told, was a bitter, grouchy, cave-dwelling creature who lived high on Mount Crumpet. And his cynicism and sourness were the result, we're told, of a heart that was two sizes too small. He tried to stop Christmas from coming by stealing all the presents down in Whoville. And when he succeeded, he paused at the top of the mountain, expecting to hear bitter cries. But he was confused when instead he heard songs of joy. And then like a thunderclap, it dawned on him that Christmas perhaps is more than just presents. Maybe Christmas, he thought, means a little bit more. And at that moment, according to Dr. Seuss, the Grinch's shrunken heart grew three times larger. He returned the presents, he joined in the feast, and he had the honor of carving the roast beast. Well, like the Grinch, our hearts are by nature far too small. As a matter of fact, they're spiritually dead. And our duty is summed up in the two great commands to love God and our neighbor. Your commandment, the psalmist says, is exceedingly broad. That's an understatement, I think. All that the word requires, as well as everything it forbids, it's extremely broad. It goes deeper than words. It goes deeper than our deeds. It even goes to our thoughts and our motives and the intentions of our souls. It demands of us holiness and perfection, both in mind, will, and affections. And no mere man can attain this. You know that as well as I do. It was fully embodied only by the God-man himself. And this is why part of David's prayer is for God to make his heart grow. I'll run in the way of your commandments, he said, when you enlarge my heart. And the Hebrew word means to make wide or to make room to swell or to expand. 
And spiritually, it refers to broadening and expanding the capacity to love and to serve God. That's what he's getting at. And so the bottom line is, to keep God's word, to do what he's talking about here, we have to have renewed, living, enlarged hearts. That's a tall order. And as we'll see, God does this by increasing our knowledge, our faith, our joy, and our love. In the beginning, we need the heart-changing, life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. And He does this by giving the new birth. I've heard some of your testimonies, and it's wonderful to hear about the new birth. At conversion, He brings us from death to life. Because before we can fly, we have to get wings, right? Before we can run, we have to have grace. And this grace is called the seed of God in 1 John 3, and it's implanted by the Spirit, supernaturally. I don't know how He does it, but He does. He first puts it in, and then He makes it grow. And the Christian life is never static. It's always expanding. Your heart's always growing. And so God gives the first inclination as well as the actual accomplishment, and that's why we speak of two kinds of enlargement. There's two kinds of enlargement of the heart. The initial heart enlargement occurs at conversion, like we said, at the new birth. And this is absolutely necessary because by nature, you and I are utterly depraved. That's what we're taught in our catechism. Scripture describes the sinner as a bond slave to sin and Satan. However free he might be in this world, he is enslaved and in chains to sin. Joseph was a slave in Egypt, yet he was free in Christ. While at the same time, Potiphar's wife was free in Egypt, and yet an utter slave to her lust. And this is the condition of every one of Adam's natural children. It is today, as it was in Noah's day, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a description of mankind in his fallen condition. And he's not changed. There's nothing new. The flood wasn't the remedy. Jeremiah says that our hearts are utterly deceitful and desperately sick. And in and by our own strength, we can do nothing good. Nothing acceptable. I know that. And it will never change for any person unless God, by His power, enlarges the heart. The Spirit has to regenerate the soul supernaturally so that the heart might live and expand. And this is precisely what happened to Lydia as she listened to the Apostle. Do you remember the story? It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Her guilt is pardoned, her slavery is ended, and her heart is supernaturally revived. That's why she was able to turn from her sin and faithfully serve the Lord. And this inestimable privilege and blessing is obtained at tremendous cost. I pass over this far too cavalierly, far too often. Nothing less than the deep humiliation and atoning sacrifice of God's Son. That's what it required. Because He died and rose, the promised Spirit has been poured out. And the blood of Christ is applied by the same Spirit to each and every saint here. 
And if we are to love God, and if we are to obey His commandments, the heart must be enlarged initially in the new birth. But then there's also a second type of enlargement. It's the ongoing enlargement that occurs throughout a Christian's life. And this has to do with greater measures of grace so that you and I can perform our duty. Paul says in Romans 6, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So do you see what we're saying? The initial enlargement sets us free and the ongoing enlargement enables us to obey. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll put those desires in there. Those heart desires that are pleasing to God are put there by the Holy Spirit and He enlarges the renewed heart so that we can obey more joyfully and consistently. I want that. And I think you do too. So in our text for tonight, it is this ongoing enlargement of which He speaks. Often as believers, we grow dry, don't we? I know I do. I grow weary. I seemingly have no heart for service. Every Christian, I'm convinced, goes through periods in which the spiritual vigor is at a low point. He lacks strength and energy and enthusiasm, and there is no appreciable drive for the kingdom. Prayer seems like a burden. The Bible seems to be a closed book. Worship is a wearisome task, if we're honest. And it is at such a time that we need a heart that is enlarged by the Spirit. But how does He do that? How does the Holy Spirit go about doing what He's talking about in verse 32? That's my question. And I think... There are four things that the Bible teaches that go into ongoing enlargement of the heart. Let's talk about those four things. Number one, there is the knowledge of God, whom to know through Jesus is eternal life. In 1 Kings 4, this is what it says about Solomon. God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. So due to heart enlargement, Solomon became wiser than any other man. And there were many bright and learned men, I'm sure, at that time. But Solomon excelled them all. And it was the knowledge of God, or the knowledge God gave him, that made all the difference. How do I know this? Because Solomon was wiser than them. And what is wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Did you notice how synonymous parallelism equates fear of the Lord with the knowledge of the Holy One? It's the same thing. To know and to revere God is the beginning and the essence of true wisdom. His name is great. His nature is holy. His word is true, and His Son, as you know, is glorious. And insofar as we apply ourselves to learning these things, we grow in wisdom. 
And as with Solomon, so with us, God the Holy Spirit then uses that knowledge of God to enlarge the heart. There is no field of study. You can go out there and try them all. There's no field of study that is more broadening than theology. No doctrine is more excellent or more enlarging or more sanctifying than the knowledge of God. To contemplate, think of it, the truths of Christ is to expand the human mind. Colossians 2, in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as knowledge of Jesus increases within us, understanding is deepened, faith is strengthened, joy is heightened, and the hope of heaven is more certain. In this way, God's Spirit transforms us, we're told in Romans 12, by the renewing of our minds. That's so countercultural, but it's true. The influence of grace passes through the understanding and waters the heart so that it grows. And the greater one's knowledge of Christ, the more enlarged the heart will be. So I think this is an implicit exhortation to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an implicit exhortation to seize every opportunity to learn more about Him. God provides the ministry of the Word, for example, in all sorts of expressions, especially publicly, but also privately. And His providence has placed at our disposal vast resources to increase our knowledge. Scripture and experience prove that a diligent use of these things will enlarge the heart. So that's number one. Knowledge of God. Number two, there is the exercise of faith by means of which grace is received. Psalm 81. Listen to this. Fascinating. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And so here God is reminding the Hebrews of their obligation to love and obey Him. That's what they're supposed to do. The exodus from Egypt was a marvelous thing and it put a great claim upon their allegiance. Well, in the same way, the grand deliverance from sin puts a claim upon our allegiance. Christ delivered us from the penalty of sin by enduring God's wrath in our place. He rescued us from the power of sin by breaking its dominion over us. He will free us from the very presence of sin when He makes us perfectly holy. And when we believe in Jesus, these benefits are ours. And out of gratitude for so great a salvation, we're bound to love Him supremely. And as an all-sufficient God, as we try to do so in faith, He fills our mouths as we open them wide. That's the exercise of faith. It seems to me it does have to do with a personal exercise of faith. We have only to acknowledge Him and to call upon His name and He'll provide for us. Isn't that what He promises? Luke 11, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Scripture assures us that if we lack any good thing, it's not God's fault. James tells us you don't have because you don't ask. Ask in faith. 
God can do great things for his people, and he proved that at the cross. It remains for us to believe in him and to ask him for what we need. And when we open our mouths wide in prayer and praise and in service, God fills them. When we show up on January 1st in the evening at Christ Prez, he fills our mouths. So through the exercise of faith in these ways, He supplies our souls with grace. The psalmist tells us, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. Make known your soul. Lay open your case. Tell Him what's on your heart. We pray with fervency and boldness. We plead His promises and full assurance. We develop the practice of meditation, filling our minds with His truths. And we're told then that he's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So let's exercise faith. We do that in praise, don't we? And as we fill our minds with truth and our prayers with awe and our souls with praise, he enlarges the heart. Because I think few things make room in the heart like fervent songs of praise. There's something special about the songs of God's people. It says somewhere that God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. He takes pleasure when we sing. The question is, how much of God do we want? So the knowledge of God and the exercise of faith. Number three, there is the increase of joy as we diligently use the means of grace. You've heard that phrase, these things that we do in church, the means of grace, means that God uses to convey grace to us. Hannah prayed, My heart exalts in the Lord because I rejoice in your salvation. That's how she prayed. Literally, my heart grows wide and expands because of my great joy. That's what Hannah said. Her son Samuel had been given by God an answer to her prayer, which was a great blessing. He was not only a beloved son, but as you know, he became a prominent figure in Israel. And her joy in God's blessing both elevated and enlarged her heart. Has that ever happened to you? When this kind of joy fills the soul, the spiritual arteries are dilated so that the blood can flow. And we're thereby helped in running the way of God's commands. That's what I need when I'm weary and dry. We rejoice in God's assurance of, lo- of His love, the certainty of His pardon, the cleansing of our conscience. And that which we once found burdensome now becomes easy to perform because of the joy. We rejoice in Christ's triumph. We experience inexplicably inexplicably the Spirit's power. Nehemiah said, don't be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so I ask myself, do I have the joy of Christ? That's the secret of ready obedience, you know. It's the joy. Let's delight in His person and work. Let's focus our attention upon the Lord. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says it again. I say rejoice. And that's what dispels the clouds of darkness. That's what makes way for the rays of the sun. Don't let your feelings or your emotions govern your outlook. 
Speak to your soul. The psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Remind yourself that God loves you. That Christ died for you. That the Spirit dwells within you. That you have eternal life. The soul is filled with gladness. The heart is enlarged by grace. The obedience is given strength. Samuel Rutherford, he was a famous Scottish theologian many, many years ago. He said this. I always found it fascinating and convicting. Samuel Rutherford said, I wonder many times that ever a child of God should have a sad heart considering what his Lord is preparing for him or her. Paul says light momentary afflictions don't even compare to that eternal weight of glory. So let's learn to train our spirits and discipline our thoughts so that we can rejoice and the heart can be enlarged. So we have the knowledge of God. We have the exercise of faith. We have the increase of joy. And then finally, and fourthly, we have the obedience of love that flows from a sincere devotion. 2 Corinthians 6, the apostle tells them this, We have spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. You see, love, is the greatest. It's the spiritual oil that keeps the gears of the soul running smoothly. Love. When a person's love is strong and deep, his heart is greatly expanded. In the soul where there is no love, the easiest duty seems to be a burden. But in that soul where love abounds, the hardest duty seems easy. Do you remember Jacob? the Old Testament saint, the patriarch. It says he served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days. Why? Because of the love that he had for her. He would do anything for her. And by love we mean not the feelings of the heart, as Oprah might teach you, but the decision of the soul. If you choose to love God and your neighbor, then your heart will be enlarged. Therefore, it behooves us to heed the apostles' counsel to his disciples. Above all these, put on love. Put it on. Decide to love. Determine that you're going to love one another, as Pastor Pilon prayed earlier. So in closing, let me just say that, first of all, we should beware of those beliefs and practices that tend to shrink and weaken the heart. There are some, you know. And nothing strangles the soul more thoroughly than unconfessed sin. We all sin. It's unconfessed sin that strangles the soul. Paul said, or uh, David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So to commit sin 
And to refuse to confess is to kill the soul with spiritual poison. At the same time, confession of sin before God brings welcome relief. Proverbs 28.13, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's the first observation. And the second and final observation is this. Let's commit ourselves to those things which God uses to enlarge our hearts. Let's grow in the knowledge of Christ in whom grace and peace are multiplied. Let's be constant in the exercise of faith by which we enjoy things that are unseen. Let's be disposed to the increase of joy which will be our strength, we're promised. And let's strive for the obedience of love by which we express our gratitude. And let's pray that by these means, God will make our hearts grow three sizes larger. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you never command or expect something of us that you don't give to us first. We're thankful for the Lord Jesus who accomplished our salvation. And we thank you for his spirit who dwells within our hearts, who uses these wonderful things to enlarge and to widen and to expand the hearts that you've renewed. We confess that we cannot keep your commandments in our own strength. And therefore, we ask that the spirit would do these things. And we ask it confidently because we do so. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen.